This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. It's Friday. It's September 23rd. Welcome to the show and thanks for being here. This is going to be a good one coming up in uh, about half an hour from now. We'll check in with uh, Caroline Briette's going to join us. Uh, she's National Policy Director at Climate Action Network Canada. Ann Castleman will also join us. Ann's piece in The Walrus. And we tweeted out the link to it a little bit earlier this week from our official Twitter account at Real Talk RJ to give you a bit of a head start. If you wanted to read through it, some long-form journalism at its finest, how the UK is winning the race against climate change. You can check it out at thewalrus.ca. It's Anne's reporting that's prompted this conversation on Real Talk. Of course, we'll take a look at what they've been doing in the UK, and then we'll bring it back to Canada and take a look at how we can do better. Between now and then, Sapria Devetti will be our guest, as she is on uh, Friday mornings. Looking forward to getting into this uh, controversy uh, this uh, probably safe to say ill-advised tweet uh, from an independent a freelance journalist in Ottawa. Uh, he, he tweets under Journo Dale. He's been in the parliamentary press gallery for a number of years. He's actually from Alberta, lives and works in Ottawa now and basically said uh, he was mocking that uh, uh, that presentation by Garnet. Janice, uh, do you remember this? We played it on the show yesterday. Maybe we'll tee it up for you again later on in the show when we talk to Sapria. But but Garnet Janice was was basically invoking the lyrics, the Queen lyrics from Bohemian Rhapsody to take a run at the federal finance minister, Christia Freeland. And uh, it, it was kind of funny in a way. Uh, I, thought, I thought it was kind of creative and kind of funny. A lot of people are rolling their eyes. But again, everybody has their bias in stories like this, right? Real talk on this is some people just don't like Garnet Jenis. Some people don't like the Conservative Party of Canada, so they're not going to like whatever they're going to do when it comes to getting people talking or grabbing people's attention or holding the government to account. You know, Garnet Jenis has taken some positions that would be unpopular to a lot of people. You know, for example, in the pro-life, pro-choice conversation, uh, a lot of people outside of his riding and, and maybe even some people in his riding may, when they hear his name, roll their eyes. But if we just look at the text itself, we look at the presentation itself, was it that bad? Was it effective comms? I don't know what Sapria is going to say, so we're going to have to ask her. Well, so Dale, Journo Dale takes a run at it and he basically says the joke was lame. And he says, if a horse was that lame, we'd shoot it. And then all of a sudden, everybody's heads exploded. And Pierre Poliev came out, the new leader of Canada's conservatives, just salivating, obviously, at an opportunity. Maybe I should save all this for when Sapria is actually on the show. He's salivating for an opportunity to go at the media. And he basically says, look at this. A member of the parliamentary press gallery suggesting that one of my conservative MPs should be shot. And so then the parliamentary press gallery comes out with a statement and says, we would like to distance ourselves from this statement. Uh, we do not believe that this statement is appropriate. So they, they're basically like, uh, we want nothing to do with this. We want no part of this. But a little reminder at the end from the press gallery. Uh, reminding Mr. Polyev and her politicians that it's not up to politicians to decide who gets to stay in the press gallery and who doesn't, right? Because these guys, including MP Janice out of Alberta, want Dale kicked out of the press gallery, right? This is this is what they do. That, that's, that's how, oh, here, watch, everyone's heads explodes. 
That's how cancel culture works. You see something. Now, there's no such thing as cancel culture, Ryan. There's consequence culture. There's no such thing. Well, whatever you want to call it, when somebody sees something or someone they don't like and seeks to have that person kicked out, stifled, or silenced, whatever you want to call that, that's what it is. And I love it when it comes from the right because the right's always the ones talking about it. And so there's lots for Sapri and I to sink our teeth into in the next couple of minutes. And, and then trash talk coming up at the end of this show. So in about an hour from now ish, there's a heavy theme, John. There's a heavy theme in trash talk around the mushy middle. Mm-hmm. This was an email that kicked our week off from real talker Catalina. We've had three guests chime in on it. Mm-hmm. Adler after the fact on Twitter. He loved it. And then Erica, I feel Mo Amir both got into it. They both disliked it to a great degree, mm-hmm. and they told us as much in the unofficial opposition roundtable earlier this week. And then we had a reply from Catalina, and now we've got a whole bunch of follow-ups. And they may not necessarily qualify as like angsty, as venting, as blowing off steam, but still, we found a home for them in this week's edition of Trash Talk, which is also going to feature, uh, for a bit of a twist, a video snippet from an NHL head coach. So we're very excited about the show today. This show is presented uh, by our sponsors. Uh, and We're thrilled to tell you about them. We don't partner with companies we don't believe in, right? And one of those is Grand Dog Essentials, quality raw food. I want to refer you to their Instagram. You can find them on Instagram at Grand Dog Essentials. Check this out. I want to click on their story for those of you watching on YouTube. This is Doozer, who is hanging out with dad while he works. I think that's Greg, who's filling orders. They deliver orders to folks doors calgary edmonton central alberta but check this out this is tonight's dinner you can see the pups digging in this is the mine pet platter that they're using this is the same pet platter that our dogs moses and monroe use it's actually it stimulates the dog's brain while they eat they were going with the doggy moggy pet food they had some apples as supplements there and well, you can learn more about the nutritional reasoning for all of this on their website granddog.ca make sure you give them a follow on instagram Uh, Of course, the promo code REALTALK gets you 10% off your first-time order from Grand Dog Essentials. Hey, if you're thinking of maybe changing your situation, shaking it up a bit, getting a new job, pursuing a new career, maybe just learning a little bit more about the world around you, can we refer you to Canada's Open University? Athabasca University has world-class accredited online programs and courses. You can check them out at athabascau.ca. You don't want to get a new degree. You just want a couple courses. Great. You don't want a couple courses. You want a full-blown degree. Perfect. You can learn more about how AU works at AthabascaU.ca. The flexibility to learn at your own pace on a schedule that suits your lifestyle. And if you've already got your accreditation, let's say you're a professional engineer as an example, but you're just not satisfied in your career, Apex Automation wants to hear from you. They're based out of Edmonton, but they're working all across North America and actually taking on projects around the world, too. They're automating processes, fully autonomous solutions to industry, giving people back their time. And that includes their teammates. Yeah, they're big on the corporate culture. Now, they've expanded their locations. And why is that important? Quick turnaround service for clients. It also means that their staff, including their professional engineers, can be home at night with their families. Learn more about Apex Automation online. You can check them out under the Sponsors tab on our website. And John, we've been very excited that the Fall Blizzard menu is back at our friends, the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. I was telling you all about the Summer Blizzard lineup. Alas, my friends, you'll have to wait till next summer. If you missed any of those stars of the show, but 
The Pumpkin Pie Blizzard is back. It's a fan favorite. Of course, it's part of the entire Fall Blizzard menu. You can check it out this weekend. Perfect time to do it at the Dairy Queens in Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road. Well, it is one of the great honors of my career to partner with our Friday leadoff guest every Wednesday when we release Seriously with Sapri and Ryan. It's our new podcast project starring uh, the incomparable, the intrepid Sapria Devetti. It's wonderful to see you for the benefit of those on the podcast. I like you. You're rocking kind of the lumberjack plaid this morning. Is it a crisp fall morning in Ontario? It is. It really is. It's uh, it's nippy out there, as they say. And, you know, Ryan, none of the kids wear jackets anymore. Like, I guess they never did. Like, at what age did you start wearing a jacket regularly? Well, oh, whenever my mom told me to. Yeah, we, same. We, okay. we had to walk to the bus stop. We had to walk a ways to the bus stop. And she was always like, put on your put on your coat, put on your jacket. I saw this and I'm quickly calling up your your tweet from this morning because I loved it. Uh, your Lenny Kravitz tweet. You want to read it? or so? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> well, first of all, Lenny, yeah. I I'm just such a Lenny fan, but you take it away. I know it's just none of the teens on my block were wearing jackets. And, you know, meanwhile, I look like this. Yeah, I was like in full scarf and jacket as I was dropping my kid off to school. Um, yeah. And as I was doing so, I noted that all of the cool teens were like in like it's one thing if you're wearing like a hoodie or something or like, you know, a sweatshirt or a sweater. But they're like in like T-shirts just walking about. It's cold. Yeah, it's okay I think, to be cold. I think what I think what you and I are realizing and, and if memory serves correct, I think I'm also like I have a 10 year head start on you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm a child of the 70s, but I do. I think that we are now hitting that stage in our life where we're starting to talk about kids these days <laughs> yeah. and, and we're starting to realize. But we were the same. I mean, I can think we of there was a, there was a guy by the name of Jess that I went to high school with. And his thing was that he never wore pants. I mean, he did wear shorts. Thank goodness. Okay. But he but he yeah. never wore pants. Uh, and, and, you know, we're talking Calgary, Alberta, you know, minus 40 in the middle of February. He would still be rocking shorts. He rocked shorts at our graduation. It was his thing. And I remember kids out at the smoke pit. I don't know if high school still condone that stuff, but we had a smoke pit. I remember kids out there shivering in their T-shirts, but trying to make it look like they weren't. Their arms have that kind of really pinkish hue that comes right yeah. right, right before frostbite, you know? <laughs> I don't know. Hey, this whole Journo Dale thing, maybe we tee it up with, with Garnet Genesis comments for those that didn't hear them in the house. So, so the background, real quick, correct me if I miss anything, Sapria. The Prime Minister's there a couple nights before the Queen's funeral. John, I promised I wouldn't talk about it again, but I have to mention it for context. He's leaning on the, the, the piano um, with, with a, uh, a piano accompaniment from one of the greats uh, out of Quebec, uh, Mr. Charles, and uh, he's singing Queen's Bohemian Rap. City. A couple days later, uh, or after the Queen's funeral anyway, Garnet Jenis, uh, conservative MP out of Alberta, takes a run at the federal finance minister, at the government essentially, and he does so invoking the lyrics of Queen, a shot across the bow. Here he is. Real life, because that answer was pure fantasy. We have inflation, landslides, and no escape from poverty. Why will the Prime Minister open up his eyes and see he's not a poor boy, but he should have some sympathy? For too many Canadians, opportunity had just begun, and now this government is going to throw it all away. Money is not easy come, easy go in this economy. So when will the government cancel the plan tax increases on gas, home heating, and groceries, and spare us from this inflation monstrosity? Okay, so his colleagues absolutely love it. Uh, except for Michelle. <laughs> we'll get to, except for Michelle Rempel, uh, who looks like she just can't wait to quit this party um, and step into a private sector job paying her $500,000 a year. Before we get to yeah. Dale Smith's tweet, uh, your thoughts on Garnet Genesis soliloquy? I mean, look, it was a. 
it was a silly thing to have said, but the house is often, especially, you know, question period is what I'm referring to here is often a silly endeavor, right? Um, it was a lame joke that he was trying to make. Um, I understand what Dale was trying to invoke. Um, I don't think his words were intended in the way that people are, are claiming, um, you know, that, but at the end of the day and Michelle Rempel Garner also had a very thoughtful, you know, Twitter thread about this, basically saying that if you are able, if you're in a position to apologize, you should, right. Um, only because like we all have a responsibility to temper down the, the rhetoric when, when, when we can, and that right now, you know, politicians are very legitimately, you know, fearful for, their safety given the current atmosphere. Now, I'm saying all of this, but let me just qualify this with saying that, like, I do not think that, you know, Mr. Janus here actually felt threatened. But ultimately, I don't know if it matters. Um, if he's saying he felt threatened, which is what he he did say, right? He's, he, he said something along the lines of, in the current climate, we should all know the risks associated with explicitly inciting violence against public officials. Mm -hmm. I don't think this was an incitement to violence against a public official, right? I don't think any reasonable person reading those words thought that this was a, a public incitement against him or any other politician um, sitting there at question period. Mm-hmm. But it's yeah. like, do you really, but, but what do you want to do? Do you want to win the internet argument of the day? Mm -hmm. Or do you want to, from a, from a cynical comps perspective, do you want to kill the story? Right. Cause now this is dragging out. There's going to be investigation into whether his uh, privileges of walking around the gallery should be revoked. The parliamentary press gallery clearly rolled over on its belly at the very first sign <laughs> oh, of uh, bearing its teeth. Right. And yeah. so like, I just like, I, I don't know. I think everybody needs to calm down, but I think we also need to recognize the current environment that we're in, in terms of not just in terms of like the polarizing rhetoric and the very legitimate threats that politicians are getting, but the online environment that we're in, which is that we have essentially a professional shit posting proxy of the conservative party um, known as Canada proud amongst other, you know, partisan outlets that gin up a lot of this. And this was a manufactured outrage campaign first started by Canada Proud, which then other, you know, far right or right leaning partisan sites sort of jumped onto to gin up this outrage. And now the conservative leader is involved. Um, basically of course saying, he is. Yeah, of course he is. Right. And we know this is a strategy. We know like he did. They did this with Aiken. They fundraised off of this. We know they're going to do this. And I think a journalists have to make it a little less easy for them to do this. But B, we also need to recognize that these are not good faith attacks. This isn't yeah. a good faith debate about what the political norms are in this country no. and what acceptable language can be used. Right. Yeah. This is all in bad faith. And the fact that we're still talking about like this happened on what on Wednesday, like it's Friday now. This should not have dragged out to be this long of a story. Yeah, well, like, you um, know, you know how this always happens is something happens. And I know you're you're coming up on Friday and I'm like, fuck, I should get her on on Thursday. Yeah, <laughs> Shit, I should ask her to come on on Wednesday. I'm always yeah. like, it always happens that we got to just wait. And it's the yeah. worst. I haven't actually put 
Dale Smith's tweet up. So so for people that haven't seen it, I never want to assume everybody's seen everything. So here's what he had to say. And and it was probably like not the greatest tweet he's ever sent. Okay. And so he he basically called it out and, and he didn't love it. Um, he's at journal underscore Dale. And uh, his tweet was, you know, Janus tries to include lyrics from Bohemian Rhapsody in his question. And I cannot adequately tell you how lame it is. When horses are this lame, you shoot them. So, okay, uh, is he inciting violence? I don't know. Uh, should he be talking about shooting things in the context of politicians? I guess probably not. Yeah. Um, I've, I've heard a lot of people. Here's some quick hits from me. Uh, number one, people are saying, uh, first of all, this is ableist language. Uh, we shouldn't be talking about things as lame. It's, it's perpetuating ableist language. I'd also like to throw... But just something for people to think about. Um, maybe we can keep the word lame talking about dad jokes um, and maybe just stop calling people lame. Maybe that would be a way to address the ableist language. Uh, but I'm open to suggestions and thoughts on that. Uh, number two, I've been a part of something like this uh, on the radio with Chorus when I had a talk show uh, referring to a guy uh, who, who, by the way, is now Danielle Smith's campaign manager, which is yeah. pretty interesting. A guy by the name of Matthew Alltime. Uh, the biggest mistake I made in that whole circumstance, talking about uh, a former city councilor in Edmonton. Um, people won't remember him anymore because he got his ass kicked in the latest mayoral race, unfortunately. But at the time, he was a city councilor, and I referred to his staffer as a, as a chimpanzee typing out idiotic tweets, right? referencing that trope there. Right. My number one mistake was that I didn't use the staffer's name because it allowed the bad faith arguments Sapria to kick off and then fester as a racially motivated attack. Right now, everybody knew it was not a racially motivated attack and everybody on uh, that city councilor staff knew who I was talking about, but they were able to twist it and torque it. And ultimately, I lost my job. And so I know about this kind of thing. I know about the manufactured outrage. I know about some of the key players that are involved here. Did you see this tweet from John Ibbotson, who carries a bit of sway in Ottawa? I think some people care about what John Ibbotson has to say, tweeted yesterday. uh, And not everybody even wants to step into this. Why would some people want to put themselves into the fray here? But Ibbotson says, Justin Trudeau singing Bohemian Rhapsody in a bar was not offensive. Dale Smith's tweet was not offensive. Could we please all grow up? Is he being too dismissive? No, because we can't grow up. I think he's wrong because we can't. We clearly cannot grow up, and we're clearly trying to both sides itis out of our way, you know, into this sort of thing. And we can't do the both sides thing when one side is not coming to the table in good faith. That's just the underlying. That's the underpinning of any like contractual sort of relationship. You need both sides to be in bonne foi or good faith in English, and like that's not what's happening here. Um, But, you know, I don't think anybody wins by digging in heels and trying to win an argument. Um, You know, Dale, for his part, also wrote in a blog post, um, I did no such thing and I owe him no apology. If anything, he owes everyone an apology for subjecting us to uh, to his attempt to be clever with the lyrics of Bohemian Rhapsody. Okay, fine. Um, and he goes on to accuse the conservatives of the intimidation game, which is what they are doing right now. They're 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 picking journalists and they are, you know, single handedly or, 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 or singling them out um, for fundraising and for outrage purposes to play to their base. And that's that's what they're doing. Um, but if somebody tells you and you know that whether or not you believe them, if some, if I tell you I'm offended at something, the non dick response is to apologize 
And I just don't think anybody wins by digging in heels um, yeah. at this point. And I and that's and I think we all do. Anybody who has a platform, anybody who has a following, anybody who gets up in front of a mic or a camera or like is behind a keyboard and people listen uh, to what they say, they do have a responsibility to try and, you know, be less dickish and yeah. try not to contribute to the polarization. And I'm not saying that's what Dale did, but if that's what's being requested of him, I don't know how not apologizing is furthering this um, in terms of his cause. Well, I wonder if maybe digging in the heels is an early attempt or an early realization around the importance of holding some ground. Yeah. I wonder if journalists in Ottawa right now, in particular, the parliamentary press gallery are realizing what's, I mean, I mean, this is, no, they're not. this is Pierre. Like, okay. Well, let's get to that in a sec, but well, <laughs> this is Pierre Polyev as leader of the official opposition. Just wait till he's prime minister. Uh, and I bet you that a lot of journalists right now are going, I'm not fucking apologizing uh, because I'm going to stand my ground on this because this is not in good faith. Now, on the flip side, let's also say that even if it's in bad faith, I don't believe for a second that Garnet Janus, that his uh, he felt that his safety was being threatened. No, I think if that he wants to see what an actual all... threat li sounds like, then he should, you know, talk to some of his colleagues. Sorry, 100 percent. No, yeah. that's fine. That's fine. And and I want to get to the point that's saying that I guarantee they're laughing about this. And I guarantee they think it's pretty clever and I guarantee they're high fiving around this. But we also cannot. And I know you're taking the responsible position on this. And I admire it. And I think it's important, Sapria. Um, I don't but. think I well, no, no, but I don't think that we can pick and choose who's taking a threat seriously and who's not. Oh, people are saying that they're going to cut Rachel Gilmore's head off, the online journalist for Global News. Well, we better take that seriously. But Garnet Janu says he feels threatened, but ah, he's a man, so he probably doesn't actually feel threatened. So, so screw you, Garnet. Janu. We can't take that approach, right? And so, yeah. unfortunately, like what did, and I don't have a loyalty to Dale Smith. Like to be honest, personally, he's always been a bit of a dick to me. So I don't have any loyalty <laughs> there. I don't know. Like all the all the players involved in this, Jesse Brown from Canada Land, always been a dick to me. Like <laughs> I, so, so I don't really. I'm watching this being like dick, dick, dick. But <laughs> but I digress. Um, I do think at the same time, people need to start taking the high road. I just hope that the Canadian public can recognize what's going on. Like we feel threatened that this guy said the joke was so lame it should be shot. Like a horse and that's threatening and he should be kicked out of the press gallery but let's bring coffee and donuts to guys with nooses hanging off yeah. the mac truck logo <laughs> yeah. during the ottawa occupation that's not a threat that's a metaphor well okay yeah of course but to your point about whether the canadian public sees through this i mean i don't think they're going to because we don't have a lot of our legacy media that is explaining and cutting through the bullshit right which is why every wednesday you should watch you should uh, tune into seriously with yep. free and ryan 100 like all this to say like you can't if you play into the game then like that's what ends up being communicated to the masses. And if we're not cutting through to the fact that this is a targeted manufactured outrage campaign, that this this is being done by a paid troll army, essentially. Right. Um, I don't know how people are supposed to know that. And, you know, you can be very online and very informed and subscribe to different news sources and maybe you will get that. But the vast majority of Canadians aren't going to be doing that. They're busy. Um, they maybe read, you know, their local news or, you know, Globe Mail, Toronto Star, whatever it is. Um, and that's it. And so this is why I think the parliamentary press gallery and legacy media outlets more generally have to be cognizant of the current online environment. And they don't seem to be. Um, and I would have hoped that in 2022, they would have learned lessons from, you know, 
other areas um, and other jurisdictions or, you know, even other eras within Canadian politics. The Rob Ford era in Toronto um, is a very good example of uh, singling out journalists and specific outlets in particular. Um, and it seems like none of those lessons were were heeded. And we're very fucked uh, for what's coming our way um, if they don't get their act together uh, in terms of uh, the parliamentary press gallery and the other journalists, because our, otherwise they're just going to run roughshod over us. I put our friendship on the line, uh, you and me, and I said, you can cancel our friendship if I don't have you out by 11 o'clock Eastern, which means I have 90 seconds yeah. with you. But I have to ask you about this victory flag planted by the new leader of the official opposition, says Pierre Poliev in a tweet yesterday and, and a video shot from his uh, car, the passenger seat of his car on his way home. He says to Tuck and his kids, good dad. He says, we are winning not even two weeks as leader and Trudeau is backing down on his unscientific vaccine mandates, making the disastrous arrive can app voluntary. Let's keep going. Is the flag planted fairly? No, of course it isn't. But he, we all knew, I think, that he was going to take credit for this. Right. So, like, let him let him take credit. It's like going to be maybe one news cycle and like that'll be it. Like the next election is not going to be fought on vaccine mandates or the Arrive Can app. Right. Um, so if he wants to keep tooting that horn, go ahead. I don't know. We love you. Have a wonderful <laughs> weekend. I will see you bright and early Wednesday morning for Seriously. Sounds good, Ryan. All right. Talk that's then. Sapria DeVetti. Uh, she's the star of the show. Check out SeriouslyPod.com and give her a follow on Twitter at Sapria DeVetti. Tony says reporters from the so-called legacy media are bound. You know, when they call out politicians, they're forced to apologize. So what do you do then? I mean, I don't know. I'm not going to have anything more to say, really. I mean, I guess we could like keep going, keep going on this. I feel like there we had it. I wanted to have that conversation yeah. with Sapria. So Sapria is one of those friends to me where I kind of feel like I run something past her. We've had a lot of private conversations, too, yeah. um, over the past couple of years. And I'll be like, hey, where do you think I am on this one? She'll be like, yeah, I think you need to recalibrate. I think you should apologize for that. I don't think that, you, you know, and, and not in every circumstance, but she to me is like mm. my sister. And I hope I don't misuse this phrase. My sister's a counselor, and they refer to this grounding stone mm -hmm. in someone's life. Sapria is kind of like a grounding stone. Totally. What are your thoughts on this? Well, like, so you don't think it was too far using the, using the shooting metaphor? Well, I don't think that I I don't think that if he had if he had a a, a second of sober thought I was right say now that as well. To, would you would you tweet it again? No, probably not. I mean, I have I a million of those in my career. When and that's that's how I feel. Yeah, I don't think it was meant to be like that. But in this day and age, with gun violence and everything going on, sure. And it doesn't even make sense. Like we don't just shoot lame horses right off the yeah. bat, anyways. Yeah. These days, there's therapies, there's shoe pads. You put them out to pasture. So like, that's beside the point. I just think you know, even if there's degrees of separation, like don't ever equate shooting to someone. Yeah, you could have made all. it. You could have <laughs> made it about like a dad joke, or you could have made it about whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, Dale Smith took a swing and a miss, and and now you know he's he's. We'll see what happens. Um, the the bigger. Well, not the bigger, but another interesting angle, which we did touch on, Sapria did touch on it, is that the Parliamentary Press Gallery, it doesn't want to be dragged into this, but it's an independent body that, that manages and administers its own membership. So the prime minister, for example, and this is the way it obviously needs to be, the prime minister doesn't get to choose who's in the Parliamentary Press Gallery, who gets a press pass. Right. We, we've had a lot of debates over the years, haven't we? And some of them have been quite public about who deserves a press pass, who deserves accreditation. 
Like we talked about Ezra Levant. I, I don't like mentioning him too much. Um, and there are some slime balls whose names I won't even mention uh, who have made big dough and gleaned huge support over, over their, you know, the, the fact they won't be accredited for media. They're not allowed in. They're not allowed in. It's censorship. They're being stifled. And of course, oftentimes the governing bodies that will not give them access say they're not journalists. What they're doing is not journalism. It's activism. And there's a difference. Is the public educated enough in this? Do we have the media literacy that we need? That comes up on Real Talk all the time. Media literacy. Trevor M's watching in at work. Love that. He's made a couple, and I just dropped into the live chat. Trevor, I already see two bangers in like five comments. Way to go. He says, in this day and age, though, you got to stop making references to like shooting or killing or whatever, joking or not. I totally agree. But he also says all those truck bros with the bumper stickers that say Trudeau should be taken to the train station. These are the guys that are all offended right now. If the reference is lost on you, if you watch that show Yellowstone, the Kevin Costner show, it's actually a pretty great show. Well, whatever, whether you like it or not, it doesn't matter to me. When they take someone to the train station, it's shooting between the eyes or in the back of the head. They're over the cliff. They're gone. Take them to the train station means you're, you know, it's, it's like the, the, the sort of like the mafia move, right? You know, you swim with the fishes. It's the same sort of a thing. So does anybody actually believe that Dale Smith was suggesting that Garnet Jennis should be shot? No. Does that mean that Dale's tweet is cool? No. Jillian says, you simply do not apologize if the offense is faith is fake and in bad faith. Daily BMJ says, if there's one person that knows how to dig in his heels over a bad take, it's Ryan. Fair comment. Bet you thought I wasn't going to read that. <laughs> Ryan says, worse things have been said when politicians have been included in the conversation. Uh-huh. Donna says, I agree. It was dismissive and insulting. And I think I'm somewhere near the middle on this. Like, I, I, I didn't necessarily take the comment to heart. Nowadays, I expect to be insulted on every tweet. So it's like water off a duck's back. Felt like he was trying to get the tweet out quick, you know? Like, it happened and he was like, okay. Like, uh, he had the word lame and then, you know, okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the horses and just typed it and went out. And yeah. afterwards, he was like, ugh. Yeah. What have I done? This might not be so good. Luke says, I also think reporters should be very careful about posting hot takes on Twitter. And Luke's bang on on that as well. Now, is it different, Real Talkers, if you're an independent like Dale, like me, like some of the other names that we've mentioned here, where you're you're swimming against rapids, right, to gain audience share? Can I, like, pump our tires for a second and... Uh, in a roundabout way, or let me make it more direct, pump your tires, Real Talkers. The only way that this is viable is because we have your support and the support of our sponsors, the support of our Patreon that keeps our lights on. You can check out more about supporting us on Patreon by going to ryanjesperson.com. We're against massive machines. You know, we've got to work hard to get your attention and to hold it. We've got to get the better interviews that dig deeper, that tackle things that matter more. We've got to be more bang on and more relatable. We've got to be more accessible. It's why we respond to things. It's why I respond to people on Twitter. It's why I try to email people back because we want to be the people's show. And Dale's got to fight against the National Post, and the Globe and Mail and the Toronto Star and the Hill, like everything else. Hill Times is a bad example. Global News and the CBC. He's trying to get people's attention. Well, he certainly did. Uh, I don't know if he, I mean, you know, they'll say oftentimes if they're talking about you, it's good, good or bad. Well, I don't know about this one. 
If he gets booted out of the press gallery, he'll probably get maybe he gets suspended. I don't know. But again, keep in mind, the press gallery now has to decide whether or not they're going to cede to Pierre Poliev and what that's going to look like, what the optics are going to look like. I just barreled over a comment I know you wanted to make, John, and I didn't want to do that. It's fine. <laughs> You're scribbling away something. John does so much behind the I'm scenes here. here. Yeah, you are working over there. We sure appreciate it. So you can let us know what you think. I'm, I'm trying to scan back here in the live chat because it's banging this morning. It's awesome. And, and I hope I haven't missed any really great comments. But, uh, you know, I mean, basically, you can send us an email anytime to talk at ryanjesperson.com. There's, there's, there's no right or wrong answer here, I think, except to, to maybe focus back on what Sapria brought to the table, which is just like when, when you get in a position like Dale has, it, it appears to be kind of a lose-lose right now. And he's probably going to want to find a way to back himself out of it without appearing as though he just folded like a cheap tent, if that's possible. Erica, I see on our live chat, uh, referencing earlier in the week, our unofficial opposition roundtable uh, with Mo Amir and Erica. I feel I love the tandem of the two of them. Although if I have to be honest, I'm a little disappointed that they seem to be agreeing on so many things. They're supposed to be polar opposites, but I digress. We'll find something that they don't see eye to eye on in a future edition. But Erica, not Erica, I feel Erica K on our live chat says I feel's take on centrists was dismissive, insulting, arrogant and small minded. Let me just say that will be addressed in trash talk that's coming up in about 25 minutes. Uh, We had a ton of trash talk submissions this week. Can't read them all, but we're grateful for them. In just a second, our Real Talk Roundtable on climate change. Before we get there, I want to remind you about Kubi Renewable Energy. They're providing solar energy solutions across Western Canada with a team of Tesla certified installers. Uh, Kubi is located, uh, their head offices in Edmonton and Kamloops, which means they can deploy teams quickly which is great news if you're looking to get your solar panels up as soon as possible. Don't forget the Canada Greener Homes Grant means $40,000 up to 40 grand interest-free available to you. You can pay it off over 10 years, but you can get the solar now. You can get your free quote from Kubi Energy at kubienergy.ca. At Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge, they understand that their customers are looking for a perfect fit when it comes to what they're driving, but that can change. Maybe your family has a new addition. Maybe you've picked up a trailer. You need something to pull it. Maybe the price of gas has you looking to downsize your ride. If that's the case, get in touch with Sherwood or St. Albert Dodge online or in person, and they'll be happy to help you find your perfect fit. You can find them under the Sponsors tab on our website, ryanjesperson.com. At Friesen Brothers, they're inviting you to leave all the work to them this Thanksgiving holiday. And of course, take all the praise for yourself. You can order the Thanksgiving dinner box online or in person at any of their 16 locations. Get this, to feed four people, $60. What? $15 a head? Where are you going to get that anywhere else with roasted turkey cured overnight, baked potatoes with all the fixins, roasted root veggies, gravy, cranberry sauce, their famous sourdough dinner buns. Plus, you can add on granny's stuffing, a baguette, maybe a four-pack of Bald Mike's beer if you're picking up in Edmonton and Fort Saskatchewan. Friesen Brothers understands great conversations happen around the dinner table. They've been doing it for more than 65 years. You can find them at Friesen.com. And don't forget today to pick up your Covenant Foundation lottery tickets. 
30 years of life-changing wins, making sure that the equipment and the resources that are needed for patient care are there at the Misericordia and Grey Nuns Hospitals. A $2.2 million dream home fully furnished up for grabs right now to get your tickets, plus trips, cars, a 50-50 with uh, well over a half a million dollars cash and still time to go at covenantfoundationlottery.ca or you can get your tickets by calling one 2774 That's the Covenant Foundation Lottery. Well, every Friday, this show is uh, very proud to present a Friday Roundtable, where we take a look at some of the issues that are impacting Canadians in a big way, and we try to dig into them with the preeminent expert voices in Canada. We're going to be jumping off of some long-form journalism here published in The Walrus. You can find it at thewalrus.ca, how the UK is winning the race against climate change. It's written... Uh, by a good friend of this show. As a matter of fact, she's a member of our editorial board. Anne Castleman is a Vancouver-based independent journalist uh, who's reported for Scientific American, NationalGeographic.com, Canadian Geographic, The Globe and Mail, BC Business Magazine, The Walrus, and others. Uh, Anne typically reports on science and environment stories uh, with a smattering of public interest issues as well. You've heard her on this show talking about child care. Uh, Caroline Bruyette is the National Policy Director at Climate Action Network Canada. Uh, she's also a contributor to L'Actualité, Quebec's leading public affairs magazine where she writes on climate issues. Caroline holds a master's in public policy from the National University of Singapore. Uh, to the both of you, welcome to the show. We're thrilled to have you here. Before we get any further, Caroline, did I, did I do okay on your surname? Uh, the surname was great, but it's Carolyn. Oh, Carolyn, pardon me. Uh, I appreciate the correction. And how did this story get on your radar in the first place? The UK uh, winning the race against climate change. When did this, when did the seed first get planted with you? Um, so it was last year, around this time last year. Um, I do, 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 how is the heat dome for you? We had this horrible heat dome here in BC um, last summer that was just terrifying and awful. Um, and so on the heels of that, I was kind of poking around looking at climate stories. And um, I, came, I mean, I came across these headlines that I sort of, they beggared my belief, which was that the UK had basically managed to cut their greenhouse gas emissions by half since 1990. Um, and this was so counterintuitive to me, like, you know, I'd been reading about the UK in the, in the context of Brexit and Bojo, a.k.a. Boris Johnson and Megxit. And you think of the UK, and you think of like fusty tea and the royals. And here, this nation was delivering incredible reductions in greenhouse gases, and it, and it wasn't ostensibly breaking their country, um, like I think some of us have the impression here. And so it started with that, just thinking like, well, we haven't, Canada hasn't managed any emissions reductions outside of the pandemic dip. Um, how did they do it? Like, what was their secret sauce? What do they have that we don't? Whatever they're doing, is that something we could be doing? Um, why are we so shitty? It's like, why have we, why are we chronically failing to meet every single one of our climate targets and what do we have to learn from these jurisdictions that are actually following through on their pledges and their promises and their targets to cut emissions because ultimately 
we're at the point where that's the only deliverable that matters. Like it doesn't matter what funding you deliver, what policies you deliver. If they don't actually cut the emissions, then we're just all toast. Mm. I appreciate you mentioned the pandemic dip. That was a fascinating thing to watch. Uh, people, people are like, the dolphins are back in this one area. The vegetation, <laughs> the birds are back. What's going on right now? Uh, he gave us kind of a, a peek into what planet Earth might look like after we extinct ourselves. I've heard people say the planet will always be fine. Just humans on the planet will not always be fine. Maybe we can dig into that in, in a little bit. Um, Carolyn, is that is that a fair comment from Anne, because I know some people are going to say, hang on a second, wait a second, our carbon tax has been implemented and it's rising and people are working on carbon capture and there have been uh, emissions caps in some jurisdictions in, in Canada. So so when we say there have been no emissions reductions in Canada or no meaningful emissions reductions, does that align with what you're seeing as well? Definitely. I think if we look at the national inventory report, which basically um, every uh, year, and, and the data gets reported two years um, back, but every year reports on, on where emissions um, are at. We've see, seen emissions plateau in the past couple of years. There have been obviously this COVID-19 related dip, but I think we're, we're going to have to wait and see if, that, if that's really a structural change. Um, or rather just, you know, the economy and everything closing down. But what Anne said is, is, is very much true. Canada has missed every single emissions reductions target it, had, it has ever set for itself. Obviously, um, our current emissions reductions target is for 2030. So we're still kind of in the works of hopefully reaching that one. And the reason we haven't met those targets is not because they were too ambitious or they were the wrong ones. It's because there was a critical lack of a governance framework, uh, making sure that our government was planning and reporting um, and that all governments, no matter who was in power, had um, a responsibility and obligation to meet those targets. So why is the record so dismal? Is it, is it not? Um, and I'd love to ask both of you and maybe we'll start with you. Like, is, is it not politically palatable? Is there a concern that it will nail industry's feet to the floor? Am I completely missing the point? Is it something else? Um, I mean, one thing that the UK has that they've had consistently across multiple governments is a political consensus mm. um, that climate action emissions reductions need to be a very high priority for every single government. Um, it's notable that um, their climate change law in 2008 was passed under Labour but then consequently, um, their government went over to conservative rule. And so that's a big one here. And what's fascinating to me is um, I would say even though our political or federal political parties do not have consensus on climate change, I would say that most Canadians do have consensus on climate change. If you look at the polling of um, how important it is that people are concerned about it, so I would say, I remember visiting um, an activist in the States ages ago, and she said, you know, whether we're red or blue, referencing the Democrats or the Republicans, we all bleed green. And I think that's certainly true in Canada. And unfortunately, our political parties have not wisened up to that yet. Um, so politics is, is a big thing. Huge thing. And you know, it's oftentimes I know this kind of sounds dismissive, but it's also true. 
Um, people will say it doesn't matter if you believe in climate change in so many ways as it doesn't matter if you believe in gravity. It will manifest itself and impact you whether or not you believe in it. Uh, <laughs> Carolyn, we have in Canada an interesting dynamic, obviously energy and in particular uh, petro energy, like the oil and gas sector is huge to Canada's economy. It's massive to Alberta's economy. And there has been much political hay made by, in particular, conservative parties that have gleaned their support by really supporting these industries. Uh, how far has that gone or how much of a role has that been in shaping not just Canadians' attitudes, uh, but also political action on climate change? I mean, it has had impacted our, our political action or sometimes lack thereof to a huge degree. Um, we know um, if you look at, you know, the first time that scientists actually um, found out about the, the, the greenhouse gas warming effect, um, that was a couple, you know, decades ago. We had the first scientists present to Congress in the United States um, in the 60s. And what happened, what has happened since then is a massive campaign from the oil and gas industry to delay and dilute climate action. We've seen the same thing in, in Canada. Unfortunately, this industry has um, continually pushed back on, on, on having bold and, and, and ambitious climate policy. And we're seeing it right now in the context of the implementation of some policies this government has committed to, like the oil and gas emissions cap. We're hearing um, oil and gas CEOs who are actually raking in record profits right now because of this inflation of, of, of um, energy prices driven um, by the invasion of Ukraine from Russia. Um, still, these CEOs, while they're um, raking in record profits, are asking for regulations to be um, diluted, toned down, um, because they say that it's it's too expensive to decarbonize. Meanwhile, they're uh, investive, investing massively in, in share buybacks. So I think we need to have a, an honest conversation in Canada about this sector and its competitiveness in the context of a global economy where demand will inevitably go down, right? If you look at car companies, for instance, most of them are looking to stop selling internal combustion engines by 2030 or 2035. So we need to have this honest conversation with Canadians, workers, um, because that's not the sector where most jobs are being created, right? The industries are, of the future um, are in the clean energy sector. And as a country, we should be putting um, our energies, excuse the pun, really um, into those sector and making sure industrial policy is compatible with that rather than doubling down on the status quo and pouring in public funds um, into a sector that does not benefit all Canadians, not only in terms of job and economic impacts, but in terms of climate impacts, right? Mm. We're seeing these impacts across the world, but also um, here in, in Canada, as, as Anne was mentioning, with the heat dome in BC, we're also seeing an extremely uh, worrying hurricane, uh, record, um, uh, record hurricane soon going to um, uh, hit the East Coast. 
So we, we need to have that honest conversation. I think. Yeah, I, I don't mean Just to sound cynical, but it's almost like it, it. it's like, does it need to hit the East Coast of the U.S. or Canada for it to actually matter to people? I don't mean to sound like a, a real jerk, but it's like Puerto Rico, Turks and Caicos. I mean, nations are just getting hammered by these hurricanes uh but but until it's and until it's like the coca-cola that's washed out or or until it's it's uh elderly folks that are dying of heat stroke in in northern bc due to heat then or or wildfires that are just demolishing the boreal forest communities uh in bc and alberta then we'll take it seriously but even then there's that cynicism uh and people have to read your piece at the walrus.ca i love how you open it um can you take us to to the coastal town of wick scotland can, can you tell us about the beatrice wind farm oh man i am um so i'm gonna preface this by saying i did not travel to scotland and i am dying to go visit this tiny town of wick in northeastern scotland um i think it's very easy in canada to feel very hopeless and pessimistic and angsty about climate change because we're not you know we want to do stuff but we see action is not happening Talking, I, I spoke to this former um, merchant, mer- like merchant Navy ships captain in Wick, William Monroe, and he painted me this picture of his town. And it sort of sounded like this Eden of um, the transition away from fossil fuels. And I'll preface this by saying Scotland has about the same population of BC. And like BC, about 6% of its GDP is from the oil and gas sector in the North Sea. Um, so they aren't they aren't foreigners to the affluence and the economy and the strength of industry that oil and gas provide. But in his town, they have these ma- there's a massive offshore wind farm that's being built where there used to be um, offshore oil platforms. The field, there's no more oil there, so they've shut it down. Um, And the Beatrice Wind Farm is being joined by two other offshore wind farms. In a greater context, the UK has managed to pump out um, offshore wind farms in like a with staggering speed. it's, it's really remarkable what they've done. And all these offshore wind farms are feeding into their national energy grid. And so what that's allowed them to do is to essentially shutter a lot of their coal-fired plants. And also they're converting their coal-fired plants to gas. Um, of course, this, you know, I'm sure you've seen a lot of headlines about current UK energy prices. Um, and I'll preface that by saying about 85% of British homes are powered, are still powered by gas. And so they are very vulnerable to the skyrocketing market prices of natural gas. Um, And absolutely, this isn't to say that the UK is perfect, but there's so much that we can learn from how far along they are on their transition to net zero and just how committed they are. I mean, that was one thing that really struck me was You know, in the UK, if you want to buy a home, you can get a greener mortgage rate if you're buying a home that is essentially like energy efficient. Wow. Um, The National Health Service has committed to get to net zero by 2045. If they do so, it'll be the first healthcare system in the world to get to net zero. Um, Just some other things. I mean, the UK has also required a mandate for all UK listed companies to publish their own net zero by 2050 plans. So sort of similar to how, I don't know what it was like in Alberta, but at the height of the pandemic in BC, 
every single business had to have a COVID safety plan to ensure that everyone was doing their part to flatten the curve. Um, and similarly, in the UK, they're requiring that all UK listed companies plan to get to net zero. Um, so that kind of just gives you a little bit of a feel of how comprehensive and how far along they were. I mean, I'd have these points talking to people in the UK and it and it, it did feel like I was talking to people from this future that I, I didn't know about or didn't understand. It was like, what, like life can be like this? This is crazy. And, and I think that contrast was so strong because here in Canada, we're just, it's like same old, same old. You know, we had this heat dome um, and everyone's just driving around in their cars. Nothing's changing. No politics are changing. No political action significant is changing. Um, and the UK's moving. They're moving to net zero. They're doing it. There's no going back for them. Hmm. Uh I love and just your writing and I'm not going to sit here and try to describe it. People just need to read it at the walrus.ca. But you describe the whoosh of these massive wind turbines and and the fact that they're it's it's built over and around like rusting oil platforms. I mean, it's just like it's it's a metaphor and it's reality. Um, yeah. there's, there's 84 of these massive turbines. You, you let your readers know that with every single rotation, every rotation, uh, powers the house for a day. So 84 homes powered every time those turbines turn. I think it's important for people to, to be able to understand that us non-experts, us lay people in, into how this all works. Um, Carolyn, one of the, one of the, the interesting differences that Anne exposes in her piece is, is talking about jurisdiction, right, and different systems of government. Um, and I'm wondering if you could maybe give us some insight into like what a successful provincial federal collaboration on climate action might look like in Canada. Yeah. And just before I do that, I just want to kind of respond to what Anne said, because obviously the UK has managed to do this because of this key political innovation they introduced. And I'm I'm in New York right now for Climate Week. It's the UN um, General Assembly. And I met actually the chief scientist of Tony Blair, who introduced this said political innovation, the UK Climate Change Act in 2008. And so what that act does is that it forces, um, basically governments have an obligation to meet their emissions reductions target. And it's, and this is gonna sound very wonky, but it is important. It sets a governance framework for um, uh, government to plan, right? It sounds very straightforward, but up to now um, in Canada, we did not have governments necessarily put forward plans to meet their emissions reductions. And there was no tracking of whether we were going, you know, we were step-by-step step delivering on these plans. And so it's important, I think, to note that in 2021, Canada adopted the Net Zero Emissions Accountability Act after years of public pressure and mobilization from civil society. What that act does, again, sets that planning and reporting framework. Um, it does fall a little bit short of that gold standard that um, Anne describes so well in her article, the UK Climate Change Act. It's not perfect, but it does give us more tool more tools and more certainty as to whether the canadian government um is on track so we can go a little bit in, in into the details of that it's being implemented right now again 
far from perfectly. We saw the emissions reductions plan tabled um, in March. That plan, unfortunately, does not have the level of detail we were expecting, both um, on, you know, seeing a plan of who does what when in terms of climate mm -hmm. policies. Um, and so we're hoping that the government was, will correct the record before COP27 in, in Sharm el-Sheikh in, in Egypt. But closing that parenthesis on, you know, a key difference between UK and Canada, which is um, our, the way our constitution works and how the environment is um, a competency that is split across provinces um, and, and the feds and really... Um, to put it simply, I think in this context of, of a crisis that is so, um, that touches on all the sectors of the economy and, and of which the scale is, is so enormous, we should be using all the tools in the policy toolbox at each jurisdiction. And that includes obviously municipalities as well um, and crank those dial um, to, to the maximum. Um, obviously right now the, the, we're seeing more um, contestation or competition between levels of, of government rather than um, collaboration. And I think that is really, I think, a key barrier to climate action in Canada that we have to name. Hmm. Yeah, I, I want to blow up and talk about all the key barriers I'd like to. I mean, there's an, an audience member now in the live chat that says, well, is this a segment on climate change or a segment on economics? But it's both, right? Like, isn't isn't that it's the both. isn't that the whole point? And isn't it doesn't it have to be somewhat of yes. a pardon the phrase like a holistic yes. conversation to be meaningful? I mean, that was one really interesting thing, and I think it's a failure of imagination here in Canada. Is we still have climate change pegged as an environmental issue, um, when in fact it's not. It's a business issue. It's an industry issue. It's a trade issue. Um, in terms of impacts, of course, it's a health issue. It's um, so, yeah, so this this idea of climate change being sort of siloed in the environmental sector, um, we really need to do away with that. And in terms of government action, I actually think that would be very beneficial because ultimately, if you're trying to get businesses to wean off of fossil fuels, you know, is Environment and Climate Change Canada the best federal department to be leading that? Or perhaps are there different ministries that could be, um, I guess, more accountable partners in that? Uh, I want to before we thank you both for your time. And, and I know, uh, Carolyn, probably you've got obligations here as part of Climate Week in, in New York. We appreciate you making time for us. And we really appreciate you pulling strings to make this interview happen as well. Um, I, I want to give you both an opportunity to leave us something to, to think with, like a call to action. People are going to hear this as they're walking the dog or, or on their commute home or whatever. Uh, what, what's one thing you really want to plant in our brains for us to, to think about and chew on this weekend? And you want to go first? Um, I think you mentioned sort of our oil and gas sector, and I think that's actually, um, for better and worse, I think it can be sort of a distracting point in Canada. Um, oil and gas accounts for a huge part of our emissions, about a quarter, I believe, or maybe 20, 20%. No, it's a quarter. Um, but that being said, there's still 75% of the pie in how we drive our cars, how we transport our goods, how we heat our homes, how we heat our office buildings. Um and so, yeah, I mean, we can have a debate about the oil sands, but we can also flatten our emissions curve in all these other sectors of our lives. And if our government's not doing that, um, then we need to, I don't know, we need to hold them to account way, way more. I think people tend to think 
that these things are sort of being taken care of by government. But from what I've seen and reported, um, government's not doing a lot, but they are not actually giving us results. So I would urge people to to hold people to account better in their elected, in for, blah, 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 as far as their elected representative. Yeah, 100%. And, and, and I love even, like, it's, it's interesting, right? Because I've seen, I've seen certain cities uh, take a stand. Like, you know, this is our priority in this city. This is what we want to do with regards to climate action. And then, and then the cynics, which oftentimes I think the volume of the cynics is not representative to the, the, where they would, the, you know, the spot they would hold in their slice of pie with regards to the population. In other words, what percentage of perspective they might represent. Uh, but people will suggest that, oh, oh, like the city, like, you know, like what you think emissions from other cities don't spread. You think Canada is responsible for 2% of the world's emissions. We're a small player. We're a bit player. And I, if people can't see Carolyn's eyes, she's just rolling her eyes from one side to the other. Because you've heard this before. You've heard all the, the cynical reasons why jurisdictions or even individual households shouldn't take action. It's, it's, it's a cynical approach. And, and I think that to state the very least, it needs to start in the home. It needs to start with the youth. It needs to start with the leadership and communities. And it can grow from there. That's where political pressure comes from in almost every context, right? Yeah, definitely. I think, as Anne said, um, people need to really get involved in, in the political process. It's our democracy. It's our political process. And we can have an impact on that. I hope people know that they can contact their members of Parliament, their members of provincial parliament, and tell that tell them that this issue matters to them. Not only because you know we'll be in avoiding some catastrophic impacts by limiting warming to 1.5 degrees, but because it also means that we'll have cleaner air and more a better health as a result of that. It means that we'll have cities that are more convenient and pleasant to get around. It means better food that is grown in your community and that benefits the local um, economy and, and entrepreneurs. And so the benefits of climate action, I think, is something we don't talk about enough, including the economic ones. The environment and the economy are not separate. And we need our political um, officials to really deliver on some of the key um, policies that are presently within the uh, federal government's pipeline, right? We know in the coming months that they'll be working on putting a cap on oil and gas emissions, a clean electricity standard, a zero emissions vehicle standard, a just transition act. And I don't want to just name drop policies, but this goes to show that there are many things in the work. And the question here is whether government is going to implement these boldly and ambitiously and rigorously, or whether they will succumb to industry pressure and delay and dilute as we've seen um, in, in past years and in past governments. So to make that happen, we really need everyone um, for and, and everyone to kind of reach out and, and share and talk about it and hold their um, elected officials to account. Carolyn, I guarantee th this is an engaged audience. You give us that laundry list of policy ideas and initiatives. I guarantee people are scribbling these down and a roundtable like this. This is just the beginning stage. This is this is just the sapling uh, and people are going to start digging. And, and I want to let people know, you know, for example, you have an op ed that you published at policy options dot irpp.org uh, we'll link to it in 
in the uh, episode description on YouTube and on the podcast so people can directly link to that uh, that piece uh, by Carolyn. Then, of course, Ann Castleman's piece as well uh, at thewalrus.ca. We've been talking to science journalist Ann Castleman, uh, Carolyn Briette, uh, National Policy Director at Climate Action Network Canada. Thank you to the both of you for getting us thinking on something that is, I, I mean, I don't think you can overstate it. I mean, it's, it's, it's an imperative conversation to the long-term survival of humankind. And so it's like, right? I mean. <laughs> when you put it like that, you're like, oh my God. But it is. <laughs> but it is. Hey, to it both is. of you, thank you and have a wonderful weekend. Thanks so much for this conversation. Yeah, you bet. Uh, we really appreciate that. And to the real talkers that are uh, that are digging in here live as well, I get excited about the the impact that I know a conversation like that will have. Maybe you're hearing this over the weekend on the podcast. Heck, maybe you're hearing this six months from now. We really appreciate it. I'm curious to see uh, how conversations like this will impact the next federal election. That's going to be a big one because you've got a, a political party. I mean, the, the conservatives now with a, a, a bunch of momentum, a new leader who is very skilled at politicking, at messaging. We're seeing him already uh, in question period uh, hold this government to account without a script. He's sharp and uh, must not be underestimated. And uh, is also going to be an unabashed supporter of Canada's traditional oil and gas industry. And don't get me wrong, I'm grateful for the oil and gas industry. This is not an attack on the oil and gas industry. I mean, if anything, uh, gosh, I hope I can find the comment and, and uh, go back. But uh, where is it? Someone was talking about uh, jobs and how we need to be talking about career transitions. And it was a great comment. I'm sorry I can't find it here, but I'll do my best to characterize it. But, but this is the thing is you understand people, that, you know, they have their, their bumper stickers. I love Canadian oil and gas, or I love oil and gas. And, and probably because that's probably what's fed your family. And that's probably what's, what's helped support your lifestyle. And it's what you've been proud to do over the years. And Canadians are lucky you've been doing it. Uh, keeping their cars and buses running, keeping their homes heated, everything else coming up with the, you know, I mean, we wouldn't have plastics. We wouldn't have hydro. We wouldn't like we get it. We've heard the messaging. We know it's important. We also know that in so many ways as London's street lamps are not fired up using whale fat, whale blubber anymore, that like industries change. Like our telephones aren't wired to the wall anymore. Like there's a whole bunch of we're not delivering letter mail to people to invite them to our parties. Things change. And there's this evolution. But with that evolution, it's not necessarily just careers and opportunities being snuffed out. New opportunities come with them. I can remember a conversation I've had with people before that are talking about newer forms of energy or greener or more sustainable forms of energy. And they say, we're going to need skill sets like drillers. We're going to need people like like that have the skills around welding. We're going to need like the electricians. I mean, we tell you the Kubi Energy story all the time. Jake Kubiski, the founder and CEO of Kubi Energy, had a long career in oil and gas. Mm -hmm. He saw the writing on the wall. He was an electrician working in oil and gas. He started a solar company. That's yeah. one example of thousands across the country where there is opportunity. It's not just careers being threatened. But also, like somebody commented on the chat about this, like the cleanup, the cleanup from mm. oil and gas is going to take decades and that's all going to involve the people who installed all of it. Yeah. So it's it's still going to be job creation or job of course. keeping of jobs. Yeah. yeah. Daniel says, uh, great panel. It says climate change should be our top priority. 
Tracy says, I've worked with thousands of Albertans that have successfully transitioned from oil and gas, many who plan to stay in the industry, but do something that's actually going to be in demand. Plain Power says the carbon tax was determined to be the best tool to promote transition. It changes consumer behavior and then changes industry. Yet, Mr. Polyev keeps demanding it be repealed. Yeah, because it's politically popular. I will repeal the carbon tax. Okay, well then, what's your plan? If you'll, like, always ask the people knocking on your door, what's your plan? I will repeal the carbon tax. Great. What are you going to say to all the international investors that demand a plan? What are you going to say to consumers that demand a plan? What are you going to say to the next generation of kids? Pierre Polyev, you know, and I'm not putting him in the crosshairs. He's the leader of the conservatives. So in so many ways, as we talk about Justin Trudeau, we're going to talk about Pierre Polyev, right? We've, we've talked about how the federal climate plan that lands in Trudeau's lap lacks teeth, you know? So, so that's on Trudeau. What about on Polyev? You know, he posted this video last night about, he says, you know, we got Trudeau to, to, you know, pull out the Arrive Can app. We got it. They're not going to require vaccines at the border anymore. That's great. That's us. That's great. And he says, sorry about the informality of me posting this video from my car. I'm on my way to see the kids, to tuck the kids in before bed. I think that's awesome. I think it's great. He's making time for his kids and they're a top priority. So when your kids ask you, what did you do when you were leader of the official opposition or prime minister? Besides repealing the carbon tax so people could keep more money in their jeans, what did you do, dad, about climate change? Because we're screwed now, or our kids are going to be screwed, or it's too late to do this, or whatever. Jesperson being sensational again with all the, hey, I see it all around me. I see it all around me, and the science says we got a real problem on our hands. We promise to keep having these conversations that get people thinking, including me, including John. I can tell it. I saw you scribbling down some notes there during the presentation. I like that very much, my man. <laughs> you can let us know what you think about this to talk at ryanjesperson.com. Eden Landscaping, our good friends, are bringing outdoor spaces to life, and they want to remind you that, yeah, well, the landscape construction season, not quite completed yet, but yeah, it's winding down. It also means that their business changes over the next few months. Number one, they're going to be talking to their clients that are going to be the first ones up groundbreaking this spring about their plans. A lot of times you need permits. You, you want to get that special uh, certain type of wood or that special uh, different installation. Uh, maybe you're looking for a piece or a part or something that's got to come from halfway around the world. Issues around the supply chain oftentimes mean it can take months to get your hands on the materials that will truly set your landscaping project apart so it's a great time now to get the ball rolling plus everything else that comes with getting set to go why delay get in touch with eden landscaping today at landscapeedmonton.ca also if you're looking for work mike and his team are always looking to add to their roster so you can get in touch with them make contact on their website of course you can also find them under the sponsors tab on ours and our friends at park power want to remind you that if you are one of the many customers that have been dealing with a Real Talk sponsor, Kubi Energy, putting solar on your roof. Park Power partners with them to make sure that when your system is providing more electricity than you need, they're going to give you more money for it than the big guys do. How does Park Power do it? Well, you can learn more about their business by checking them out online at parkpower.ca. It also takes just a couple of seconds to compare rates, internet, electricity, natural gas. You bundle them all together, you're going to save a whole bunch of dough on admin costs. And of course, $70, you know that by now, $70 off your first bill with the promo code 2022-REALTALK. 
We're proud to partner with our friends at Park Power, your friendly local utilities provider. All right, we're leading off Trash Talk uh, this week with a very special video clip, and I'm so excited for it because it is a shot across the bow in professional sports like you rarely see. Every Friday, we give you a chance to blow off a little steam to say out loud through my mouth what you might not say out loud through yours. It's presented by our friends at Local Environmental Services. It's a tradition we call Trash Talk! All right, so if you're not a hockey fan, maybe you don't know the whole background, but last year, Matthew Kachuk scored over 100 points for the Calgary Flames. He then let them know that within a year, he didn't plan on re-signing with the team, so they traded him to the Florida Panthers. Pretty good trade for the Flames, if you ask me. Well, the NHL teams are back in training camp now, and reporters asked Daryl Sutter, the head coach of the Flames, how Matthew Kachuk's replacement at right wing on one of their top lines, Tyler Toffoli, who played with Daryl Sutter in Los Angeles for the Kings, how the two stack up. In other words, how are the Flames going to do replacing Matthew Kachuk on that line with Tyler Toffoli? And here's what Coach Sutter had to say. Well, as far as their skill sets, any comparisons between Kachuk and Toffoli? Uh, one guy's won Stanley Cups. Been a big part of Long playoff runs. Of course, I don't have to tell you what happened to the Calgary Flames playoff run when they ran into the Edmonton Oilers last year. I love that trash talk from Daryl Sutter. All right, we got one from Peter here who heard UCP leadership hopeful Travis Taves on the show this week, formerly the finance minister. Earmuffs, kids. Peter says, uh, hey, Travis, how the fuck can you challenge real talkers to make a decision for leader of the UCP vis-a-vis Alberta's premier by watching how they've led and then minutes later say, uh, I'm going to work with Albertans on the pension file. Here's an angry Alberta teacher who watched my pension get stolen saying, take your leadership bid and your hollow words and stuff them. All right. Now this one from Ronnie. Ronnie says, Jespo and crew, I'd like to think I'm a progressive and you will never hear me both sidesing an issue. I let my positions be known clearly and I take a strong stance. Thinking strategically, however... Uh, You're never going to change hearts or minds by belittling those in the so-called mushy middle of the political spectrum and those who are vehemently on the fence. And you can be radical without being inflammatory. And that's why I take issue with one of your guests on the unofficial opposition. Ronnie. Who could you possibly mean? How about this one from Ryan who says, Hey, Jespo, listening to you read that email about the mushy middle, a little bit of a fire under my ass, reminding me that those of us in the middle need to take the time to write those emails, to send those tweets, to be involved in the discourse. If we don't, we will continue to have our voices drowned out by those on the extreme poles of the political spectrum. Ryan says, I see troubled waters in our future, especially because we seem to be content to let those at the extremes be the only people that have a say in how our country and province are run. So this is me committing to make the time to be a more engaged real talker and a more engaged citizen. I hope there are many more inspired to do this. Maybe we can course correct away from where I believe we are headed. Signing off from the mushy middle, it's Ryan. 
And how about this one? Appreciate this one from Marty, who says, uh, Jespa, when you're reading emails, it might be good to announce that there is some editorializing on the RJ team's part before reading it. This is when other people say things like emails are edited for brevity. They are, because some of you are so engaged, so intelligent, so motivated, so verbiose, that you send us these big, long emails that would take the entire show to read. So we got to cut them down a little bit. He says, on to Catalina's email. They talk about the mushy middle and not having a home. There is a home, right? The political party that they most identify with is called the Liberal Party, an excruciatingly centrist, bouncing between being right of center and left of center kind of party. There is no far left in this province or in this country. Uh, If they think that there is, they've fallen prey to conservative party messaging of trying to control the Overton window. The closest thing to far left in this country maybe described as those blocking forestry or oil and gas projects. How many people are there like in the whole country? 10,000 of them? I don't know. They're certainly not driving political parties or having any impact on policy to any degree. Nothing that pushes past natural growth with times around them. All this talk about the mushy middle being a centrist, about their own centrism. People have positions. They just don't like to expand them, But there's nothing wrong with that. You can have a position and go no further than saying and keep a topic going like I like pineapple on pizza, but you don't have to expand on your reasoning. Centrism is by its very nature all about the status quo. There is very rarely any true both sides. The world doesn't work on a scale with two choices being equal in weight. You know, your author also talks about disliking being put in a box. Well, that is what identifying as a centrist is. You are putting yourself in that box. It is the personal and political identity of it all, okay? Maybe just maybe you need to reevaluate your desire to be seen and identify as a centrist and wanting to feel neutral. Your desire to identify so strongly with an identity is actually blinding you from your own growth. Political parties change. It's up to the public not to be stuck in the past with how we see them. In closing, Catalina, I think you can, if you look really hard, find a political home in a space. It sounds like you're so stuck in the idea of being truly a centrist that you don't want to take the introspective step of self-realization. I hope you can, because if the pushback you face that you're afraid of receiving, it may have a little bit to do with the fact that clearly you have sides. You just don't want to admit all you want to do is stay safe. All right. Thanks for that. Back, forth, back, forth. It's been pretty rare that a Real Talkers email has prompted a week's worth of discussion. So even though we still have a week to go before the end of September, this is my official announcement. Catalina, the first ever to be early awarded the Real Talk email of the month. We're going to be in touch with you. We're going to send you one of these Real Talk studio mugs on our dime. Thanks for getting us going, whether we agree with you or not. Trash Talk is presented by our friends at Local Environmental Services. Keep it local. Get a quote today at localenvironmental.ca. Coming up on Monday, Charles Adler's back in the house. Looking forward to it. Plus, health reporter Andrea Wu is going to talk to us about cancer surgeries that are being canceled in Canada. Another impact of this pandemic hitting people where it hurts. Have a great weekend, friends, and thanks to tuning in for Real Talk. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, Executive Producer Josh Dunford, Technical Producer John Hicks, General Manager Katie Cook-Chivers, Account Coordinator Lawrence Durlego, 
Human Resources, Lena Shepherd. Website Design, Mike Johnston. VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandy Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a relay project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.